0: You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferriesburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Man, thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Uh, familiar faces, some guests, and if you're visiting us for the first time, man, just know you're an answer to prayer. Um, And so just by you being here, uh, we've been praying for you, believing that God has something in store for you. And with that, I am so excited to be continuing our series, Built to Thrive, as we look at what it means to be a good steward of our time, talent, and our treasure. And um, who's loving this sermon series so far? Yeah? Okay, I mean, right, you're, you're feeling a little guilty if you don't raise your hand, uh, but I know I have, um, and if you don't know this, I actually have the privilege of teaching about stewarding our time, our talent, and our treasure in our Get Connected class, which is something we teach about every other month, and I am stoked now to have the privilege and opportunity uh, to talk about them even more this morning, and uh, if you haven't been here throughout the whole series also, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to the previous messages because they all kind of build on top of one another. Um, But because I teach these things at Get Connected, I have a lot of thoughts and ideas about them, but I'll try. I'll try really hard. I'll try really hard to be brief so that we're not here all day. Deal? I mean, unless you guys want to be here all day. All right, Bobby, read the room. All right, all, all right, I'll try to hurry up. I'll try to hurry up. Uh, so over the, over the past few weeks, we've learned what it means to be a good steward, that if God is God and Jesus is Lord, and if we are not God, uh, which I don't think anyone here is, then everything on earth, including everything that we have, belongs to him. So when we're stewarding these things that God has actually given to us, um, and, he's, and he's given all of us things like time and talent, and treasure. So last week Pastor Ben he did a great job of starting an in-depth look at what it means to steward our talents. That we were created with purpose and he showed this awesome image of our passions and our pain and our proficiency aligning for us to find our purpose and the sweet spot our reason for being. We also took a look at what it means to be a community of people with different talents, that we are Christ's body, and each of us have different spiritual roles or gifts to play in that body, that as a community of believers, we need one another because none of us were created with every skill or every gift or every ability, whether we think it or our mom tells us, Uh, but God created us to find our source in him and to thrive in community with other people. And I was thinking what it might look like for us to be better stewards of our talents. I was led to one of the most upfront, in-your-face, and obvious passages of Scripture on the topic. And, you know, I could just skim over it and ignore this low-hanging fruit. And, I mean, I tried. I tried. I really tried to be more creative because I want to be creative. I play music. I do all those things. But I just, I couldn't. It just kept sucking me and pulling me back in and so with that will you turn with me this morning to matthew 25 as we take a look at a parable from jesus about stewarding our talents this is one of the very last parables of jesus taught before his crucifixion and it is about the kingdom of heaven and Christ's return in the last days. And while Jesus uses concepts of wealth and bags of gold and silver when sharing this story, it is clear that he has something more comprehensive involving our talents and our gifts and our abilities in mind. And so with that, uh, we're gonna be reading for a long time because this is pretty much a sermon in itself. Uh, but let's take a look at Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, where it says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver He dug a hole in the ground, and he hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you've given me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. And listen to this part. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And with that, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this teaching about your kingdom and about eternity, Lord. And I just pray that you would use it to speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would inspire us, that you would convict us, that we would leave changed people through your word, Lord. And uh, just, uh, yeah, we give everything to you uh, that you might use our lives as an offering. We give you all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, like I said, this story alone is, is a sermon that, you know, I could just say amen and walk off, and we could probably be good for the day. Um, but I feel like God has a few things he wants to speak to us. And there were a few things that he was speaking to me as I was reading this. And the first was a question that I asked myself, and it was, whose kingdom am I building? Whose kingdom am I building? See, this parable is a part of a series of parables about Christ's return in the kingdom of heaven. And believe it or not, Jesus talks more about the kingdom of heaven than any other subject in the Gospels. Any other. But most of us, we never even consider what it means or how often it appears. So most other translations, it doesn't even use the phrase kingdom of heaven in this text because it's merely inferred from the previous parable. So I like that this translation reminds us the context of this story and the importance of the kingdom of heaven in understanding this parable. That Jesus starts by saying, this is what God's kingdom is like. This is what it's like to live where Christ is your king. And this was a somewhat easy concept uh, for the people of Jesus' day, that they were living in the Roman Empire, that they had an earthly king and his name, was Caesar. And for us in America, even for those who think about the Roman Empire often, uh, we can read the kingdom of heaven and think of heaven and totally miss the concept of kingdom. And for most of us, when we think of kings or queens today, you know, we think of some British monarch with little power and a lot of pomp and circumstance. But I'll be honest, whether or not we see Christ as ruler of the kingdom of heaven. You are part and a subject of a kingdom somewhere. So what kingdom or whose kingdom are you building? Because when you're a slave to your finances or a slave to your work, you have made money, your king, and are part of the kingdom of mammon instead of the kingdom of heaven. That capitalism and competition become your values and you see everything and everyone as a commodity to be used or exploited. Or perhaps maybe someone treated you as a commodity. And, and so you become a slave to your job or to advancing your career or some political agenda or a cause that has no actual attachment to the gospel or to Christ. Or when you're a slave to your own ability or your own talents, you have made yourself the king or the queen of the universe, making the whole world revolve around you and your desires and your wants and your needs and your dreams. But when sickness falls on you or when divorce happens or or when you lose your job or get injured or when you show signs of just aging, your whole world crumbles around you, and you quickly realize you're not quite a god at all. It reminds me of a quote from uh, pastor and evangelist D.L. Moody. He says that our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. That we're all building a kingdom, whether it's our own egos or our pocketbooks, the American dream, or maybe our children's dreams, or, or politics, or our future retirement. But are we finding our identity and putting the investment of our lives into a kingdom that matters or one that won't live beyond our short existence? Are we succeeding at something that doesn't really matter at all? And here's the truth as well. Before um, any of us knew Jesus, we were waging war with him and being part of one of those kingdoms that opposed him, whether we knew it or not. And when most kings see kingdoms at war with theirs, they go to war right back this is how Jesus is a different kind of king. That instead of shedding others' blood to bring his kingdom peace, he shed his own blood to bring us peace. And instead of forcing us with an iron fist to submit and join his kingdom, he offers his hand. He picks us up. He carries us on his cross. And he tells us to follow him as our servant, steward, that's the kind of kingdom we're part of. And that's the kind of kingdom that Christ has asked us to help him build as his stewards. Let's think about it another way. Uh, Like I said last week, Pastor Ben talked about being part of the body of Christ. But think of what it really means to be part of Christ's body. Just how we have to really think of what it means to be part of a kingdom of heaven. Instead of thinking of that metaphorically, think of what Paul is actually saying when he writes about that in First Corinthians chapter 12, that Christ died for us. He resurrected and then ascended, and he's waiting to return, and in the meantime, he has called us to be an extension and an embodiment of him into the world, that we're his hands, that we're his feet, we're representatives of our king. We are the ones who are to continue in his steps by taking care of the poor, or healing the sick, or forgiving others, or making disciples. So how are we representing our king and reflecting his kingdom? You know, in this story, we might be called slaves, or servants, or stewards, but we're serving a different type of king, and and in a different type of kingdom. That we're serving a king who first came as a servant himself. That we all have an immeasurable debt that we couldn't pay. That it says in Romans that the wage of sin is death. The wage of our sin is death. And Christ paid that debt by dying for us. So we serve in his kingdom as a response to that price that he paid. That because Christ gave his life for us, we give our lives Our time, our talent, our treasure, in response. See, this changes the nature of stewardship and the nature of serving. Because instead of serving to pay a cost, we serve as a means of thanks. We serve as a response that Christ paid the price for our freedom, so our work and our talents now get redeemed as we use them to serve him and to serve others. Instead of our talents being seen as mere commodities now, they are transformed into something new, pieces of Christ's body, building a kingdom that we never deserve to be a part of, but yet somehow are in. And upon this foundation, we find true biblical stewardship where our talents and our work are transformed into worship. Where everything we have, every relationship that we're in is a gift we were given to nurture and take care of. So whose kingdom are you building? And once we realize we're part of Christ's kingdom, we need to then ask ourselves, what resources has Christ given us? What talents has God given us? We see in this passage that the master or the king has given his servants each different amounts of money or talents. And it says in the scripture, based on their abilities. They didn't give anyone more than they could handle, but he did give everyone something. So say that to yourself. Say, I got something. Come on, let's say it again. Come on. I got something. Yeah, you better believe it. Turn to the person next to you and say, yo, you got something too. Right? Whether you see it or not, they do. So the master in this story, he gave every servant different amounts of money and talents based on their abilities. And what happened when the master returned? He gave them even more. He gave more to those who invested and grew what he had given them. You know, so often we can look at what others have or or what we don't have yet. And because what, we don't have what we want or, or what others have, we decide not to do anything at all. So we either get jealous of others or down on ourselves, or sometimes we even get upset and angry at God. We don't realize that what we have is a gift given to us by our master. And because we have so little, we think, why risk losing it? Just keep it and no one will notice that we haven't done anything. It's such a small amount why should we grow or get better or use it it won't make a difference anyway we think But let's think of it this way think of this for a moment would you rather have a million dollars today or would you rather have one penny that you could invest that would double every day for a month and so it would be one penny then tomorrow, two pennies, then the next four pennies, then the next eight pennies, and so on for a month. Which would you choose? Just impulse, off the bat. Two different people came up to you and gave you this deal. Because if you chose to take a penny that doubled every day, you would have over $5 million over 30 days. But I understand, this is a February, it's a leap year. So, you know, it's 29 days, so you'd end up only with $2.7 million. But think about it. This is money. But think about your life. Think about your talents. Think about your abilities. We think what we have is so little and of no worth, but if we invest and grow what God has given us, it's surprising what we can do over a long period of time. You know, so many adults, and, and you know, I'm um, speaking to myself here too, they think that because they didn't invest their talents when they were younger, that it's not worth it now. And that's what I love about kids and about teenagers, uh, that when an adult tells you that they can't do something, that it's hard to convince them otherwise. They have to tell themselves that they can. They've been playing the narrative in their head for years of all the things that they can't do. But when a kid tells you they can't do something, all you need to do is tell them that they can and give them the tools and the training and the time to do it. And maybe we can learn from them. And that's why I love having students and young adults that serve on our worship team. And didn't our team do a great job this morning? Come on, come on. There are four people serving on the team up here and in the back in Sound and Tech that are in middle school, high school, and college. And they're serving, uh, if you notice or not, with their dads this morning, which is so beautiful, right? I'm going to cry. That's really great. Um, I love that Pastor Sean and Renissa, I love that uh, Kyle, my wife, pours so much into our students for things like fine arts as well which is something that our students learn uh, to uh, discover, develop and deploy their gifts, and they're doing it right now. And uh, even if you drive by church Sunday afternoon, if you drive by church this afternoon uh, for the next several weeks, you'll see them here with our students, helping them grow in their gifts by coaching and pouring into them. It's one of the things I'm going to brag on you for a moment, Kyle. It's one of the things that I love about my wife, Kyle, is that she has this amazing ability to coach. Uh, students and to coach others, that she'll work with uh, one student on a harmony for worship, and then all of a sudden, she'll work with another student on how to arrange a song for a piece, and then she'll work with another student about blocking, uh, which is about, like, where to stand for a stage performance, uh, which is things that are completely out of the realm of what I know. And some of these students, they've told themselves and they've told us that they can't do it time and time again. I'm thankful that I have a wife. I'm thankful that we have pastors that tell them that they can, that they can do it. And it's amazing to see how quickly these students who led you in worship today and other students have grown as they've invested and gave God their talents and how easy it is for them to do it when someone is helping them along. And I remember time and time again when I was growing up uh, where adults and mentors would pour into me. And that's part of my story as well, that, that one day my mom saw me messing with her guitar and so she decided to give me guitar lessons and here I am today. And then when I first started attending youth group as a teen, uh, my youth pastor saw me and put me on the youth worship team the following uh, Sunday to play guitar. And I even remember getting yelled at by her because I was playing Hotel California <laughs> during worship, Uh, because I didn't go to church. I didn't know, right? Um, And I remember being at a church cookout, uh, same time of my life, and jokingly making fun of country music. No offense, any country music lovers out there. I was singing the song, I Love This Bar uh, by Toby Keith at a church event, right? Interesting. And I remember being given a microphone the following Sunday at church, that the worship leader at the cookout looked at me, and she was like, you could sing? And I looked at her and I was like, I could sing? Because I didn't know. No one ever told me I could. And I was given a microphone the next week. So maybe you have a resource you need to invest or or a talent you need to work on. Or maybe you have a skill or a talent you need to share with others to help them grow and discover their calling. Like what some of our mentors are doing here at the church. Or like what some of our volunteers are doing right now and gateway kids, because isn't that what discipleship is? Because it doesn't matter what resource or talent you have been given, but it matters how you use them. That's the next question from this parable of Jesus. How are you building the kingdom? How are you doing it? What we see in this story is three people who are given different amounts of funds based on their abilities, And we see them using these funds in different ways. That it says that the servant who was given five bags, he began investing the money and doubling it. It says that the one that was given two bags um, went to work to double the bags. And the last servant who had the one bag, we also know he buried it and earned nothing in return. All three of them did different things with their different amounts but only two were rewarded and given more. So thinking of that, it actually reminds me of the first person in Scripture um, who we ever read was filled with the Holy Spirit. Does anyone know who that person was in Scripture, the first person ever to be said to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In the Exodus story, God delivers the Israelites from slavery, and Moses meets God on a mountain where he receives the Ten Commandments and the commission to go towards the promised land. And I'm not talking about Moses either. But for God to continue on with the Israelites, the people they needed to build a tabernacle for him to dwell in. And so you think, Moses is the one that God is going to fill with the spirit. But this is where we meet the humble man, whom many have glanced over in Scripture, a man named Bezalel. Has anyone ever heard of Bezalel before? Bezalel? Just just saying it's kind of fun. Bezalel, right? Uh, But listen how he's described. We're going to read this in Exodus 31. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I've specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with, With the Spirit of God. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him what? Great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman. Hey, he's like you, Pastor Ben, a master craftsman. Come on. He's an expert in working with gold and silver and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. You know, when we think of people being filled with the Spirit, you know, our minds might immediately go uh, go into speaking in tongues or prophesying or or laying hands on the sick. But in this story, God filled someone with his Spirit in order for them to be a craftsman, to build things with their hands for the glory of God. And God also filled Bezalel with his Holy Spirit in order to teach him and uh, to train others in the skills needed to build the tabernacle. That God filled Bezalel with the spirit in order to build up his temple. That he was built to thrive, and now Jesus has filled us with his spirit too in order to build his kingdom and a temple here on earth. Uh, Last week, uh, Pastor Ben, he brought a very special shelf uh, that he handmade himself in high school for his stereo system. If you were here, maybe you remember it. Uh, he was once a Bezalel, it appears, right? Uh, that he shared just how he had created this shelf with the purpose. That God has created us with a purpose. That he's given us talents and gifts and abilities. That just as pastor crafted his masterpiece, we too are a masterpiece created by God. That you are a masterpiece. And when I was thinking of Pastor's illustration, it made me think of another story of when I was in high school. If he could show off his work, I could show off my work, right? Um, But I wasn't in shop class. I was in art class. Woo, woo, big surprise, right? Hey, there I am. Uh, This is me, senior year. Uh, That is Fine Arts Festival in Ohio. Uh, That is my artwork. And I actually have that artwork here Uh, But I won't show you that one because there's a picture of it. Um, But, yeah, just as people invested in me playing guitar and singing and leading worship, people invested in me painting and drawing. And I invested a lot of time and money and energy drawing and painting as well. So I thought I – oh, man, let's hope – yeah. So I thought I would bring uh, some art pieces and and recognize the face, look at the face. So I thought I would bring – some art that I did when I was in high school. I'll set that here. So pretty handsome fellow, right? Man, good-looking, good-looking guy right there. So uh, let's look at a couple of the other pictures of me in high school while we're at it. I use that one first because I didn't have a beard in that one, and I have a beard in a lot of other ones. In my class superlatives, uh, that's a fun word to say, I was voted most artistic class of 2008. There's me. And I'm actually standing in front of a giant mural. I was in the middle of painting at the time um, as well. And then there's one more picture, I believe. Um, I also won a senior class portfolio. And there's some of my art in the background. The one in the bottom right won a couple awards at some art shows. Uh, This one was in an art show for the county and won an award as well. Um, But yeah, believe it or not, I used to be an artist, right? little weird to think. And even though I don't paint uh, as often or draw regularly, you can see me use my creativity in, in creating looks for our sermon series like the one that we're in or, or doing other things like uh, the pamphlets that we handed out as well. And uh, not to sound braggadocious uh, either, but I could probably still paint or draw or do art if I wanted to, right? But I'm choosing I'm choosing to steward my time and my talents by being selective where I use them. And so think about it. All three of these things that we're asked to steward, our time and our talent and our treasure, they're all interdependent. They're not independent of one another, which means that if we learn how to steward one of these things well, we actually get better at stewarding all of them and vice versa. Because, like I said, it takes time and money sometimes to grow in our talents. Because artists are called starving artists for a reason, right? It, it, it takes time and, and, and energy and, and money. And it works the opposite way, too. So think about it with time. When, when we don't give ourselves a Sabbath rest, it's usually because we're trying to accumulate more wealth or, or more things, And so by being poor stewards of our time, we take on a distorted view of our treasure and our talents. Or maybe it's that distorted view of those other two things that inform how we spend our time. So we end up thinking life is about achievement or prestige or wealth or fortune. But but when we become content with our finances, or, or budget well, or, or take a healthy perspective about our own human limits when it comes to our skills and abilities, or, you know, maybe to bring some balance here, the limits of our children's skills and abilities, we instantly become better stewards of our time. So just by focusing on stewarding one thing well and submitting that to the Lord, others usually follow. So in a paradoxical way, it's actually a talent to know when and how to steward our talents, right? So what resources have you been given? And how are you investing or using those talents by growing them or giving them away and teaching others? I want to ask the worship team to come back up this morning. And as they do, I want to ask you again. How are you building the kingdom? How are you building the kingdom? Because if we don't steward our talents well, if we aren't willing to invest in what God has given us, then we risk the same fate as the third servant. And it's so easy sometimes to think of all the reasons not to do something. And I could tell you a million reasons why I shouldn't be when I could have said no. I was the first person in my family, in my household, to accept Jesus. I'm not uh, from a religious family or one that regularly went to church. Uh, my dad worked in a factory in a temp office growing up. My mom was a, a basket weaver for Longaberger. Um, I didn't have Sunday school teachers or pastors pouring into me. As a teenager, uh, many of you know, I was actually arrested for breaking and entering into a house. So I wasn't the type of person a a girl would want to bring to introduce to her parents. I was also a pretty shy and awkward and and not very socially aware kid. And again, some of you are probably like, not surprised, that probably actually explains a lot. But believe it or not, um, I had to go to speech therapy for several years. For several years. And you wouldn't know it today because I had a speech impediment. I had homework that I had to do every single week to help me learn how to speak clearly and properly. And I'm so grateful for my speech teacher, Miss Maine, in an elementary school who used her gifts and for challenging me and working with me for years. And now it's crazy to think that I sing regularly, that I speak regularly, that I'm here speaking publicly So, this juvenile delinquent, unchurched kid from a broken home with a lisp has as many reasons as any of you to say no. But what happens? What happens when we say yes? That's when we hear it. Well done. Well done, my good There are so many people that are using their gifts and their talents and stewarding them well to build God's kingdom in different ways. That I could be here all day and speak about many of you here that serve either at the church or in the community, at your professions or, or in your homes. And for those of you, God might look and say... God sees the work that you've done with Bikers Against Child Abuse, that you have a passion and you're making a difference in the most hurt, the most vulnerable kids, kids that have lost their power, that you're giving them their power back. Well done. God might look and say, well done, Rich Lovell, serving in your bowling league, many different roles over the years, silently making a difference. So many times being a home for the hurting, for the broken, for those whose parents have abandoned them. The person always willing to cook a meal for those, for knowing people's diets, remembering them, and making them something special when you didn't have to. God might say, well done. so many other people here that I had to say that to. That the list could go on and on and on of people in this church using their gifts in the community. Using their gifts for God's glory. What will the master say to you when he returns? Whose kingdom how are you using the resources you have, the resources that have been given to you? Will you stand with me this morning? And let's pray today that God will say those words to all of us. Well done, my good and faithful servant, as we offer up our talent. Jesus, we thank you. You are our king. Lord, and let us not forget that you've given us everything. That everything we have in it is a gift. Every relationship, every friendship, every skill, every ability, every profession. Lord, that we're not there for our own glory. We're not there for a paycheck. We're not there to clock in or clock out. We're there to give you glory. Lord, and let every skill that we have, let every knowledge that we learn, let every passion that's in us be a utility belt. Things that we put in our pockets that we can use at any moment. That when people need a hand, that we can be that hand. When people need us to go, that we have the the ability and the will and the want to go. that you've given all of us something. And let us not worry about what we don't have or what we don't have yet or what we want or what others have because that cheapens your gift. Lord, you've already given us salvation. You've already forgiven us. Let us worship you not just with our words, not just with our tongues, not just 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, but let our lives be worship to you as we redeem the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of ourselves by using these things that you've given us for your glory. Lord, challenge us today and speak to us as we respond with one more song this morning. Show us how we can grow in you. In Jesus' name.
1: want to do two things before we're dismissed. And first of all, Pastor Bobby, thank you for one-upping me. Just kidding, just kidding. We all have different gifts and abilities. I'm going to bring what I drew or something next week. I love it. Seriously, Bobby, thank you isn't Bobby endearing just we love him seriously you and Kyle are such a blessing such a blessing but this is the first thing I want to do Um, I I really want us to use our voice to just be a blessing to someone that's close to us whether you know them or not Um, but I want you to turn to someone and uh, maybe you know them, maybe you don't and I want you to just speak life into them and explain to them in 30 seconds or less why they're invaluable to God's work, all right? Because we're all invaluable, right? So just turn to your neighbor, just do that, and uh, just if you're by yourself, you got to get out of your seat, turn, tell your mom, she's invaluable, come on, tell your son, here, up here, you're invaluable, you're invaluable, Maybe you know you can speak something more specific. Don't leave. Lock the doors. No, I know it's uncomfortable. Turn to make sure everyone has got somebody. You're invaluable. You're invaluable to God's work. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. You were created with a purpose. You're created with purpose. Love it. Love it. Love it. We are all called to be godly stewards. And some of you in the past have said yes and God has used you. But the reality is, is that day by day, we need to wake up and say yes to whatever God is calling us to do, right? And so this is the second part of what I'd like you to do. If you want to be committed to say yes, for God to use your time, talent, and treasure, because they are, you can't really separate them. They are integral together, interdependent. If you're saying, okay, Lord, I want to be a person that says yes. For some of you, it's saying yes again. For some of you, it's saying yes for the first time. Um, I'm going to ask that you would Uh, Just step out into the aisle or come forward, and we're not going to belabor this long, but I just just, want you to move. I want you to kind of say, all right, Lord, I'm willing to say yes. I'm willing to say yes. Would you just step out right where you are? Yeah, yeah, just make a move, and then we're going to just pray a benediction prayer. This is so important for us to engage, yes, together, say yes. Father, I pray right now that as we have experienced your presence this morning, we've heard your word, it's challenged us, light bulbs have gone on in different ways, and now where the rubber meets the road, Lord, We want to be people that say yes to you when you call us, when you show us areas to serve. Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon each and every one of us. Lord, for those that are discouraged, Lord, I pray just a wave of encouragement. For those that feel down and out, Lord, I pray that you would be the lifter of their spirits for those that have just felt like they, they're bankrupt in some way, God, I pray that you just pour out your blessing just beyond their imagination. I pray it. And God, I pray that as we wake up day by day, and we say, Lord, use me. I say, yes. Lord, I pray that you would multiply and that you would pour out your spirit on us. Just like you did Bezalel. God, for whatever our hands find to do, Lord, we determine to do it with all of our might. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Now, as you turn, just greet someone as you go. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We love you. Go in the grace of God.